Story 9 of Elsie and the Child, A Tale of Riceyman's Steps, and Other Stories by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story 9, Last Love. 1. Don't you hate ugly undies, Miss Oseth? Minnie demanded vehemently, and without any warning. The piano lesson was finished. Teacher and pupil sat at the window of Miss Oseth's small parlor, which looked out over Mosewater, where the bright sea was creeping furtively in the dusk across the salt marshes. "'I don't like anything that's ugly,' said Miss Oseth cautiously in her soft, weak voice, and gave a characteristic little cough. She felt a responsibility towards Minnie's somewhat indifferent parents, because Minnie adored her more than them. "'You're not getting that edge straight,' she added. Their heads approached one another above the fine needlework. Though Minnie showed much natural facility upon the piano, more indeed than her teacher had ever had, Miss Oseth did not enjoy the piano lessons, for the reason that the pupil seemed to be incapable of musical emotion. This was strange, seeing that she was an emotional young girl. In the matter of needlework, for example, Minnie could be rapturous. At times she was quite obviously thrilled by the beauty of Miss Oseth's achievements in crocheting and drawn threadwork. Needlework united them far more effectively than music, and Miss Oseth, who had a passion for needlework, was thereby made glad and proud and enthusiastic. Nevertheless, Minnie's emphatic tendency to lavish ornamental stitchery upon flimsy garments invisible to the world disturbed Miss Oseth. She glanced anxiously at the head of bobbed brown hair and at the downturned pretty face and at the slim, soft, flexible, apparently undeveloped body, a boyish body, a boyish quality in the face and in the free gestures. The girl was twenty and looked seventeen. The girl's attitude towards the world was one of frank, fresh, possibly rash, investigation. Nothing perverse or secretive or morbid in her. She was innocence itself, and yet this utterly unboyish preoccupation with unseen attire, which she never attempted to explain or justify. Miss Oseth was alarmed, and at the same time curiously conscious of an agreeable excitement. Minnie dropped the work and leaned upon a third chair that was in the bay of the window. She was always adopting the strangest sprawling positions, and could seldom sit on one chair if there was a chance of sitting on two simultaneously. Her body seemed to be more than she could manage, to be somehow superfluous and cumbersome, despite its frequent startling grace. "'Miss Oseth?' "'Yes, darling.' "'Do you mind if I ask you a question?' Minnie intoned these words. When she was not quite at ease, she would intone, chant, or even sing, instead of speaking. "'Well?' "'I've been dying to ask you heaps and heaps of times.' Minnie lived in a violent and extravagant universe of her own. In this universe, time existed in eons, or it did not exist at all. The same with every other commodity. There were heaps, tons, stacks, or there was not a single scrap. In this universe, Minnie died continually from the mere acuteness of her sensations. She did not like or dislike. She hated, she loved, and adored no intermediate degree of feeling. 
in fact a superlative universe and dangerous to inhabit well repeated miss ossip have you ever been in love a short silence no answered miss ossip truthfully in a smothered voice realizing first how the girl was mysteriously growing up and then the shock of the question to her own mind to hide her constraint she looked steadily out of the window in a creek about fifty yards in front of the cottage were three yachts the two smaller ones were already afloat on the rising tide the third and largest dismantled was still aground miss ossif saw those yachts float and take the mud every day and often twice in a day at any hour she could tell without looking whether any or all of them were afloat or aground she lived day and night with the ceaseless tides this evening as she replied to many the largest yacht with its green sagging chain and weed-clad undersides suddenly appeared to her forlorn and pathetic she knew that many misjudging her tone thought that she was annoyed she was not annoyed but she could not say so because to say so would prolong the topic which she wished to close at once it was a disconcerting topic she could not conceive herself discussing love with the blossoming girl instinct warned her against such a perilous course i must rush home said minnie after a moment i'll go with you part of the way said miss oseth you are an angel minnie's universe was peopled with angels and fiends they set out shutting but not locking the door of the solitary cottage two hundred yards over hummocks of grass and they reached the hamlet of fittering a row of white cottages an inn a larger private house and on the rough cobbled quay two antique buildings in the nature of warehouses which were in process of demolition from flittering as from all the coast villages and towns of that east anglian peninsula there was only one road inland and the road from tiny flittering was no more than a broadish track nearly impassable by footfarers for days together in winter but now dry and dusty many nervously skipped and ran playing round the sedate miss Oseth as a porpoise round a ship when they had passed the disused little eighteenth-century lighthouse and come to the corner where the track mounted towards the village of ho flittering's metropolis and the high road to the vast babylon with a music-hall and three cinemas called colchester miss ossa stopped lily's farm the home of minnie began at the corner minnie leaped passionately at miss ossa and gave her an intense kiss i do like you minnie exclaimed thus and without another word begging forgiveness for the indiscreet inquiry into her angel's past miss oseth fondly returned the kiss the child receded a glimmer of white in the dusk miss oseth faced eastwards again she passed through white flittering calling out good-night to the landlord of the inn as she went she passed the beautiful antique warehouses whose slow demolition always painful to her now struck her as unbearably tragic a thames barge with all its sails lowered or brailed except the topsail which hung like a ghost in the sombre sky was very slowly moving up the channel on the night tide 
and in this approach of a phantom to the key soon to be deserted forever there was also a quality unbearably tragic she climbed over the hummocks of grass the immense inlet which at low tide was a waste of land with little lakes had been transformed into a sea with little islands the sea gleamed in a strange light she entered her small garden and looked at the roosting fowls she opened the door and went into the five-roomed cottage which was the end of the inhabited world and according to her custom she glanced into each room then in the parlor she lit a candle and drew the blind her mother had bought the cottage after her father's death more than twenty years earlier mrs drine was a stern old lady who would sit in the garden in black gloves she talked very very quietly and had always expected and received absolute obedience and entire devotion from osset they had kept a servant who was the only human being with any power over mrs drine they had also a dog mrs drine died osset was free and had not the force to use her freedom the servant ruled the dog died the servant died also then became the slave of the cottage which she could not sell without loss and would not leave she was afraid of servants would not engage another one and did everything for herself she had a very small income and slightly increased it by giving piano lessons she had learned at colchester and by the sale at low prices of her lovely needlework an appreciable part of the income was spent in small surgical operations on her nose and throat she was frequently indisposed and often her face gave signs of the dyspepsia and neuralgia which everlastingly tortured her the east wind which blew for two months each spring over the saltings was her enemy she was thirty-nine at many's age she had been called pretty and she was still slim without being desiccated only she was round-shouldered having good judgment and an unusually sound and detached sense of proportion she knew the cause of her failure in life she had never been able to assert herself never had the strength to assert herself she would not have called her existence an unhappy one but now minnie's crude question seemed to have precipitated all the unperceived misery which her life had as it were held in solution she was shocked by the swift vision of all that she had missed self-pity agonized her she slipped on to the hard sofa and cried in the loneliness as softly as she talked and as her mother had talked she did not sob the tears flowed quietly she had the illusion of hearing minnie's fresh boyish voice have you ever been in love no she had never been in love rarely had she had the chance to be in love and never the courage to take advantage of the rare chance two in the middle of the night miss oseth was awakened by the noise of a quarrel in front of her cottage she had strangely enough for a woman of her timid temperament not the slightest fear of solitude but now the sound of men's angry tones frightened her for never once in twenty years residence at the cottage had she heard any human voices in the night on the marshes the cottage was indeed the end of the world nobody could safely wander at dark on the marshes intersected by innumerable creeks 
the night sounds round about miss osset's cottage were the uncanny calls of birds the wind over the rushes and in the chimneys and during the great christmas gales the fringes of the sea in the larger creeks however though she was alarmed miss osset did not bury her head she arose and lit the candle for companionship she dared not draw the blind aside and look out of the window in one of the voices she recognized the gruff fierce accents of the landlord of the flittering inn and i tell you you've no business in that yacht shouted the landlord i've had my eye on you for three hours past oh have you yes i have that yacht belongs to mr beaumont and he don't want no dirty tramps on her and supposing my name's beaumont it seemed to be a young voice miss osseth heard no more she listened for a long time to the hammering of her own heart and at last blew out the candle and went to sleep again thinking of the history of the beaumonts she was roused once more by a new and fainter noise which at first she thought was her heart but which ultimately explained itself as an intermittent knocking on the front door she now pulled the bedclothes over her head the sound would not be silenced it was like a conscience penetrating the defences of a shameful sloth she sprang up nervously relit the candle put on a wrap and looked out between the muslin curtains of the window the night which had been clear was very dark indeed miss osseth shook with apprehension but in a moment as she listened she seemed to say to herself i'm in a dreadful predicament i may as well be in it and she yielded acquiescent and relieved to the situation there were steps on the gravel ah cried a calm voice of one who had probably noticed at last the candlelight above him and the shadow of a head on the muslin curtains please come down you up there i'm all bleeding it was the voice of the inn landlord's late antagonist three i think i'd better light the big lamp and i think i'd better warm some water before i begin on that said miss osseth faintly and timidly and yet somehow sturdily too facing the visitor whom she had led into her parlour where only a candle was burning if not precisely ashamed of her little parlour she was concerned about his probable contempt for it with its queer bits of victorian furniture hand-painted tables comic chairs frayed glaring carpet her mother's cruel work and water-colours and incredible photographs and engravings she knew well enough that the room was enough to make a modern cat laugh she knew that it was a pathetic exile in the implacable welter of the twentieth century but she would not could not have had it altered she would forlornly stand by it also she was concerned about her own attire which was very summary and incomplete whereas the young man was fully and elegantly dressed though a little ruffled the young man had a waistline which was created by the lowest button of his jacket and which became him admirably miss osseth suddenly felt more virginal than she had ever felt she was flushed and thrilling with virginity she was eager and defensive she seemed to dare and to run away to invite and to repulse to care and not to care extremely unused to men chance had thrown her close against a man and in the most singular circumstances however as she had encouraged herself before she was in a predicament and there she was 
and the roughly bandaged hand was enough in itself to reassure the sensitive primness of her virginity. The bandage had noticeably reddened. She wanted to look at the man's face, but looked at the bandage instead. All she knew about the face was that it was fair and impossibly handsome. It was as unique as the face of the angel Gabriel. In addition to feeling virginal, she felt extraordinarily and absurdly young. Do sit down, do sit down, she urged nervously, and in her nervousness bungled the lighting of the lamp, which first smelt because the wick was too low, and then smoked because the wick was too high. Oh, dear, dear, and I must warm some water. Even alone in the kitchen, igniting the spirit lamp with which she always made her morning tea, she was flurried. What a ridiculous idiot I am, she thought. The young man followed her into the kitchen. I don't want to make a mess in your living room, he said. He took off the bandage himself and held his hand under the tap at the sink. He didn't know it, but he was being frightfully extravagant with her precious rainwater from the tank beneath the eave. The wound was on the back of the hand, a fairly bad wound, an inch and a half in length. The cold water soon stopped the bleeding. She was too diffident to inquire as to the origin of the wound, but she connected it with the inn landlord. Then she had to hold his wrist and bathe the womb in warm water, colored pink with Condé's fluid. How unfortunate that she kept her cast-off linen and oddments in a drawer of the kitchen dresser, and so was forced to cut and tear the new bandage in his presence. Still, she was getting hardened now. "'I suppose you're Alexis Beaumont,' she ventured, after he had thanked her for the dressing, which indeed she had accomplished very well. She was quite sure of his identity. He nodded with a mysterious smile. The Beaumonts had bought a house and grounds near Ho some fifteen years earlier. They had invaded Ho from London, which is equal to nowhere. They were rich, and they were determined, in their ignorance of the fundamentals of English country life, to wake up Ho. Everybody above a certain station called on them, and they called on everybody. They organized flower shows and tennis tournaments, and they gave dances and established a club for the civilization of laborers. Ho accepted all. They were marvelous in the war and after the war. Then events compelled them to leave. They imagined that the great departure would stir Ho to its foundations. They imagined that the painted notice at the august front entrance gate, this property to be sold, would cause Ho to shed poignant tears. Not a bit. They left amid perfect calm. Their seven bright, busy years of occupation had made no more impression upon Ho than the passage of a strange motor car down the village high street. In the life of the indifferent and insensitive populace, whose roots were buried centuries deep in the social history of the district, the sojourn of the Beaumonts had about the same importance as the picking up of half a crown in the gutter. It was better than a bat in the eye with a burnt stick, and that was all. The yacht alone remained to testify that the Beaumonts really had existed. An agent from Colchester occasionally led it for duck shooting on Mosewater, but he had never succeeded in selling it. Miss Oseth had caught sight of Alexis once or twice as a boy when he was home from school for the holidays. He then had the reputation of being a spoilt boy who created strife between his parents. 
i'll go back to the yacht now you've been most awfully kind and skilful he said it neatly in distinguished tones he had a rather dazzling style with him but are you going to try to sleep on the yacht where else there's a bed two beds in fact it's rather cosy he smiled easily but the beds must be dreadfully damp oh no but they must be miss oseth pitied the simplicity of the man of all men in practical details of daily existence oh it's of no consequence he said casually and added but if you'd like to spoil me he uttered this phrase with a disturbing irresistible confidence ever so softly and gently i'll tell you what you might do you might give me a bucket of water there's soap and towels on board and a candle oh yes said she when the preparations were done miss oseth lit her outdoor lantern and they issued forth into the warm night a loose punt was the means of transport to the yacht one push and they were alongside they both moved quietly as though afraid of being overheard to miss oseth's surprise the cabin of the yacht actually did have an air of coziness when illuminated by the lantern and a candle it revealed all sorts of handy contraptions and some food and it was roomier than she would have thought possible she made up the bed she poured the water into the brass-bound barrel which had a brass tap now have you got everything you want no but i shall have i shall run over to colchester to-morrow and get a toothbrush and a razor and some blacking and a boot-brush and clothes-brush and shirt or two i shall take the motor-bus miss oseth laughed enigmatically excited by this glimpse into a man's private life i can let you have everything for your boots she said he shook his head in refusal they extricated themselves one after the other from the close confinement of the cabin miss oseth going first with the lantern she got into the punt and in a moment was on the bank of the creek i say cried alexis low i must tell you you're a splendid girl you positively are enthusiasm was in his fresh strong voice girl she blushed peacefully in the immense faintly rustling darkness of the reedy marshes she thrilled peacefully well she felt like a girl she did not feel like thirty-nine and could scarcely believe that she was thirty-nine she said nothing in answer in the parlour she regarded herself in the glass moving the lantern up and down of course the inadequacy of her attire was terrible but it did not seem to matter and honestly she was convinced that she did not look nearly her age she was a girl she had all the sensations of a girl how old was alexis she made a calculation and decided he was twenty-five in her bedroom she sat by the window and gazed at the candlelight steadily shining through the cabin porthole of the yacht mysterious fascinating he had given no explanation at all of his visit to the yacht oh dear oh dear she reflected what a good thing this kind of thing doesn't happen every day it's most upsetting and i don't know where i am and i don't know what people would say she smiled very happily expectantly shakily she cried four oh miss oseth cried minnie the next day you look simply frightfully young to-day i can't think how you do it i feel a hundred miss oseth blushed slightly whereupon minnie added and you look so charming too 
but then of course you always do look charming well it beats me that's what it does it beats me miss oseth blushed a little more she felt inexplicably happy but constrained too she didn't know what to say the sincerity and enthusiasm of the young girl's praise gave her a confidence in herself which she had never had before obviously many would not burst out at first sight of her into these impassioned praises without some very striking cause and many's observations were richly corroborated by miss osses own feelings she indeed did feel young and though she was tired and ought therefore according to custom have been suffering from neuralgia she had a strange new physical condition of good health had a miracle happened to miss osseth miss osseth being usually a person of strong common sense had no belief in miracles what she at the moment believed was that she had got into the habit of regarding herself as old when she was not old thirty-nine thirty-nine was nothing the phrase you're a splendid girl glowed in her memory and heart glowed steadily beautifully inspiringly it was the magic phrase of rejuvenation always in her hidden happiness miss osseph was disquieted by the visit of many this was not Minnie's day, and though Minnie did sometimes appear unexpectedly, why should she appear on just this day? Minnie had something on her mind, and she had to get it off. She had come with the sole intention of getting it off. "'Oh, Miss Oseth!' she exclaimed, gazing through the window. "'Of course you've heard all about Alexis Beaumont. I see he doesn't seem to be on the yacht now. In fact, I know he isn't, because I saw him go past the farm this morning.' He took the motor-bus to Colchester in Hoe High Street. I think he's too handsome. I'd never seen him before, at least since he was a mere school kid. But isn't it funny, him living in the yacht like that? I can't make it out. No one can. They say he's quarreled with his father about something, and he's waiting here till Mrs. Beaumont brings his father round. But how does he manage? I wonder if it's true that he had a fight with Mr. Cossange. I suppose he did, but I'm told they've made it up, and he's going to have his meals at the maid's head. Of course, Cossange hasn't been in the district long enough to know who he was. Minnie had, without an effort, collected all the rumors connected with Alexis. She was clearly obsessed by Alexis. I can tell you this, said Miss Oseth, in response to Minnie's persistency. He came here last night and asked me to let him have some fresh water. And did you? naturally and don't you think he's too good-looking for words it was nearly dark such extreme and calculated duplicity was very unlike miss Oseth. it ought to have disturbed her conscience but it did not she was delighted when minnie reluctantly left she desired above everything to think her thoughts in solitude to think the same thoughts over and over again she had her wish no one called at the cottage not even a tradesman and she did not go into flittering she scarcely even went into her garden lest if he came by alexis might suspect that she had been lying in wait for he could not reach the yacht without being seen from the garden a queer a touching modesty on her part but perhaps also it was pride she did no needlework she sat she moved restless and purposeless from room to room she sat she talked to the cat and to the fowls 
not about herself, but about themselves. Like most solitaries, she had the habit of talking aloud to herself, but today she said not a word aloud to herself. If she had talked to herself, she would have heard things that would have made her uncomfortable, that would have abashed her. And she was super-sensitive. The virgin instinctive and watchful in her heart was ready at any moment to leap up like a young and uncontrollably impulsive savage and do strange deeds. The day was glorious, perfect, endless. The memories of the sun would not leave the evening sky until at last they were annihilated by the enormous moon rising out of the sea. It would be high tide, and a very high tide, just before midnight. Miss Oseth sat late in her bedroom, but she did not undress. She had dressed with care in the afternoon, not in her best clothes. Oh, no, that would have been absurd. Quietly but more carefully than usual, and a lovely collarette of her own creation. I must go to bed. I cannot go to bed. I must go to bed. Her thoughts circled round and round. She looked cautiously between the drawn blind and the side of the window, not for the first time, and started. The light was burning in the yacht's cabin unimaginable unimaginable that the vibrations of light from one little candle should transpierce the glass of the portal and the glass of her window transpierce her head energize her brain and cause her brain to energize the physical mechanism of her heart till it thumped 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 against her tight-fitting blue frock frightening he had mysteriously returned how when she knew not. But he was there, alone, solitary as herself, within fifty yards of her, enfolded in the tremendous night of the marshes. She sank to her knees at the window, would not move. She would wait till the light went out. She was now very sad and resentful against herself. She was utterly exhausted, too. She was old. She heard sounds on the gravel. She heard an ominous, delicious, soft, authoritative knocking at the door below. He had come. It was impossible that he should come, but he had come. Young again, strong, eager, and fresh as though she had just risen from a long night's rest, she pushed up the window. "'I suppose you don't happen to have any aspirin,' said the calm, firm voice of Alexis. "'I know it's rotten of me to trouble you, but this hand of mine throbbing like the deuce.' Five. "'No,' Miss Ossus said, holding the wounded hand in her two hands, and examining it by the light of the candle in the cabin. "'It's going on perfectly all right. Of course, it's still a bit inflamed, but that's because you've been doing too much today, carrying parcels and things, I expect, and walking a lot.' She spoke reassuringly, with knowledge, and as if there could not possibly be any appeal from her verdict. Oh, well, that's fine, he murmured, emitting her authority by his relieved tone. She was proud. She at once took charge of the cabin. This interior was about seven feet long by six feet broad. In certain places, under the open flaps of the skylight, Miss Osef could stand up straight in it, but Alexis could not. A narrow table occupied the center, and two couches, or beds, flanked the table. It was small, but it was habitable, and the diminutive coziness of it ravished Miss Osef. 
while she dressed the hand with a new bandage which she brought from the cottage she kept exclaiming upon the cabin's quality of coziness and it was picturesque too the sides and the top were a dead white touched here and there with gilt the table was of teak which set off the white the crumpled blankets were highly colored and the floor was covered with linoleum in a pattern to imitate large black and white tiles it's a regular little home said miss Osip. it's delicious her voice was ecstatic the place was warm in spite of the open skylight but she loved the warmth of it she inquired almost menacingly about his meals and he replied that he was eating at the inn yes she said i heard you'd made it up with the landlord she laughed he laughed things do get about quick don't they he said oh they do the two exchanged a glance you'd better take the aspirin in hot water but i haven't got any hot water but i've brought my thermos she said superiorly she had laid it in a corner of the empty couch it was wrapped in white linen what's that he said as she undid the wrapping a clean pillow slip i don't mind you sleeping in blankets but you oughtn't to have a bare pillow tick is horrid against the cheek you're a wonderful girl he observed simply but that's not all she said and crept out of the cabin to the steep stairs leading to the deck she groped with her hand on the surface of the deck and brought down a small bunch of flowers which she had left there on entering all these little matters she had prepared in advance in the hope of a summons from him the entry of the garden flowers had quite a sensationally dramatic effect they'll have to have hot water like you she said i've got plenty of cold water now said alexis the landlord was very decent after all i couldn't blame him for making a fuss at the start could i how should he know who i was miss Osseth said nothing she was busy with the pillow slip and the blankets and turning over the mattress and the tin mug for the flowers and the smaller tin mug with the hot water for alexis to drink from she moved to and fro like a real girl with the flexibility of a girl and perhaps also the grace she was acutely aware of her body and rather proud of its shapeliness beneath the thin nice frock and stockings and of her fair complexion and soft hair she bent over the bunk with a willful sinuosity of movement there now the aspirin at last the pillow slip immaculate as smith oseth herself gleamed smoothly with a heavenly invitation the coloured blankets were straightened out and one corner of the upper one turned back with geometrical precision the flowers bloomed on the dark table the small tin mug steamed miss Osip held the tablet of aspirin in her hand alexis suddenly and startlingly opened his mouth advanced the tongue just like a clever spoiled child miss Osseth trembled at the irresistible gesture hesitated an instant and then shakily placed the tablet on the tongue and offered the mug alexis blinked her excitement was extreme unique to her and she was exquisitely troubled alexis gesture was the most marvellous and disturbing phenomenon in her experience her finger remembered the thrilling moisture of his tongue i'll go now she said with forced but apparently successful quietude after he had drunk the water oh but you haven't seen my purchases at colchester you must tell me what you think of them won't take a minute she would have refused to stay one second longer but could not she had no will-power 
all fortitude had been drawn out of her by felicity he was so fair and handsome and frank his movements and voice were so distinguished and he had been so obedient to her and they were alone and necessarily so close together in the warm bright coziness of the cabin and the cabin was hidden in the night of the salt marshes they were safe none knew nor could know of this intimacy the sanctions of society stopped short at the tiny paradise of the cabin and miss osef handled his small purchases and savoured the masculinity of them the safety razor for instance what a strange and dangerous contrivance she tried it on the down of her delicate cheek she took it to pieces oh so fearfully she put it together again no no she cried as she rose swiftly and unexpectedly to depart don't move i can get ashore by myself she was gone four nights later to miss osef the intervening period seemed more like a month than four days a month in which her nights had become days and her days nights and her whole existence turned rapturously upside down alexis without warning began in the secrecy of the yacht's cabin to tell his companion about the cause of his estrangement from the home in dorset he had resolved to join some youthful friends in an expedition for commercial purposes to an uninhabited island some hundreds of miles off the west coast of south america five hundred pounds was to be his contribution to the general funds of the enterprise and his rich father had absolutely refused to provide the sum but he was sure from experience that his mother would wheedle his father into a surrender to myths osef alexis painted his own martyrdom in affecting colours tears came into her eyes as she sat by his side on the couch he was moved by her quick generous sympathy and never guessed that she wept at the prospect of his departure to the other end of the world he turned his face to hers and looking into her wet eyes gently kissed her unresisting lips the kiss was a sacrament for her she bowed her head and held it bowed he was spellbound by her hair and pure charm had she bowed her head in shame or in acquiescence or in both he was intimidated by her innocence she had no age then she was neither old nor young neither mature nor unripe she was simply that which had been immaculate alexis averted his gaze before he could decide what he should do next she had risen with a hysterical instinctive swiftness and vanished how beautiful and exciting he thought was the whirl of her white skirt as she flew up the steep stairs into the dark world of the salt marshes six the next morning but it was the same morning after receiving from the postman a letter which agitated her from the moment she saw the brussels postmark on the envelope miss osef went forth towards the yacht with a pencilled note in her hand she hurried and yet was undecided no sign of life on the yacht alexis must be in the deep sleep of youth she dared not call and moreover she was too modest to awake him the tide was low taking off her shoes and stockings she padded through the sticky mud to the yacht's side she listened and heard faintly the regular breathing of the unseen sleeper to her a sacred and a beautiful sound 
life had never seemed to her more romantic or more terrible she was mysteriously afraid of her excessively strange situation and the immense hitherto unsuspected power of her instincts the porthole of the little cabin was open she ledged the note on the lower rim of the porthole and put a stone on it to keep it in place she knew well enough with her capacity for detachment that alexis must sooner or later involve her in some kind of tragedy nevertheless her ecstasy had not abated it had increased and it had only been exasperated by the letter from brussels her unsigned note to alexis ran thus one of my uncles is very ill in brussels i have to go shall be back as soon as possible please do take care of yourself then began the awful fever of the expedition of a woman who had never travelled she had to go all the way to london to obtain a passport and then return all the way to harwich whose highest chimney rose on the other side of moeswater inside of her cottage to catch the evening boat for antwerp the uncle died she was hustled in a tram in brussels and all her money stolen with the amazing audacity of the timid she made a scene about this though she could not speak a word of french at the police station in brussels the staff there showed keen curiosity as to herself and would do nothing until she had revealed among other things the maiden name of her mother and they did nothing afterwards either they caused her to understand that there were half a dozen pocket robberies a day in the trams of brussels miss Osset reached harwich one morning in black poorer but with the prospect of an inheritance she drove by the curling road round the edge of moeswater back to her cottage which smelt fusty and was to her eyes intolerably dirty some letters awaited but nothing from alexis she was in an agony she could not conceivably ask for news of him the yacht with an air enigmatic and secretive lay as usual in the hollow of the creek the weather was still magnificent in the afternoon she went out for a walk in her salt marshes they were hers because she knew them better than any other living person the tide was at lowest ebb on the caked margin of the creek she saw an envelope all brown and green it was unopened and contained her note to alexis no doubt in closing the porthole he had without noticing it pushed it into the water it looked inexpressibly forlorn clutching it in her hand she moved onwards into the lonely maze of the marshes she crossed little bridges of an incredible frailness climbed and descended slopes jumped the dry beds of rivulets skirted the marvellous bright greens of treacherous moss strode through high sturdy rushes dusted her shoes in clumps of bracken, startled fowl, and ground game, yielded herself to the vast powers of breeze and sunlight. The landscape was as primeval as the sun and the wind. Scarcely any foot but hers ever ventured into that tremendous waste, which indeed was dangerous enough for the unwary and ignorant. On those walks she always ultimately made for the same objective, a bowl of grass-green land protected equally from the wind and from the water. In the hollow she saw Alexis and Minnie sitting side by side, and their lips were joined in a long kiss. 
they were so young so graceful so natural so ingenuous so innocent in loving gesture so fitted to the wild and lovely landscape that miss oseth stood entranced as much by admiration as by a shocked astonishment they were pure creatures of the golden age which never was and never will be but which flickers now and then for a moment into a half-existence and vanishes they had probably been there all day and nothing but dust would arouse them to the reality of time they were sure of their solitude and it was miss osif herself who had taught many the intricate geography of the marshes miss osif turned and ran she ran lest she should be seen she ran because she was ashamed before these two of her age and her disillusion the memory of the exquisite movements of minnie's lithe body shamed her these two were bound to meet and once met neither could resist the other but do your father and mother know miss osef asked when minnie feverishly gave her the news well it only happened yesterday alexis is going to see them to-day they'll be all right and his people well they've got to be all right said minnie confidently but isn't there a quarrel it'll be fixed up he isn't going on that pacific island business oh he's given it up you don't suppose i'd agree to such madness do you oh miss osef i love you more than ever because he says you were so frightfully kind to him she clung round miss osef's neck i'm so happy i might die of it any minute i might really you can't imagine how happy i am oh yes i can said miss osef firmly minnie wondering surveyed her can you when the beautiful girl had gone miss osef sat down to the piano and played all alone in the cottage a little prelude of box and as she played she resolved passionately to be the tireless guardian angel of the two youths she forgot herself she was poignantly happy with a vicarious happiness end of story nine